it was a very competitive, it was such a competitive industry. And if I'd have tried to have that conversation with any of those guys, I'd have looked like the weak and feeble woman. That, would, that is how that would have been perceived. I, I, I didn't know that I didn't know what was happening with me, but I couldn't have, I would have, I would have made myself very vulnerable if I'd have spoken out about how I was feeling because you just didn't do it in that industry. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show for female owners and leaders of small and medium-sized businesses. You are in the right place if you want a more aligned success, to make a greater impact and to have happy, engaged, high-performing and inflow teams that you trust to get the job done allowing you to ditch the stress and firefighting, to focus on your most fulfilling high-value work, and to have the financial and time freedom to live the life you truly desire and deserve. I'm your host, Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv, and I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. Business owners and leaders hire me to help them to achieve impact-driven growth. Yet not every business owner is in the position to hire me, so I created this podcast and in every episode, myself and my guests share the stories, strategies and actionable wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, on with the show. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to She Leads Business. I am your host, Una Doyle, and today I am so delighted to have with us the wonderful Susie Orr from Unique Ladies. Susie, tell us about yourself. Wow, well I'm six six foot five, five foot six (laughs) and blonde and fun to be with. Um, I'm very hot today. Um, I I founded um, Unique Ladies nearly six years ago. Um, after a career in telecoms, um, I had the idea to just run a network for women because I felt that women needed a platform and, um, lo and behold, nearly six years and we've got 16 groups running. Um, I'm married. I have a husband, Ronnie, and we also have a UPBC double glazing business window world. I want to go back a few years into the beginning of your corporate career so how did you like what was your first job what were you doing um, oh my first job when I was at school so you know in, in those days at 14 you were sent out to to get a Saturday job so I worked in for some friends who had a butchers actually so I, I was the Saturday girl in the butchers and loved it and to this day I still love meat um, and I still let my beef hang and I, I've got lots of you know, a lot of people want to eat sort of the meat. I like a lot of old-fashioned meat, you know, the oxtail and tripe mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I started working in the butchers. And it was a double whammy because the couple that had the butchers um, had me babysit for their little boy as well. So I used to spend from 7 o'clock Saturday morning and stay overnight with them and get paid for being in the butchers and then for babysitting when they went out Saturday night. So that was a long time ago. Um, but it taught me a lot. And um, both of them are sadly, you know, up in heaven now. But I often think about both of the people, the couple that have the butchers, because, um, yeah, it taught me a lot about hard work and and respect and talking to people and things like that. Um, When I left school, I, all I knew was, was that I wanted to leave home and I had this vision of being sort of a Miss Moneypenny, like a, a PA to James Bond. Um, and 
when I was sort of 15, 16, and I was thinking about leaving Automat, I didn't, I wanted, I needed some money to do it. And then I realized that if I went to work in the hotel industry and catering, that I could get a job with accommodation. So I decided I didn't want to do the hotel management thing because I wasn't into the food service side of it. But I did a, a City and Guild 709 hotel receptionist course at Blackburn Tech, because it was before, before it's a uni. And um, I passed with fine colours. I, I had distinctions when I came out because I was so, I've, I've just got completely focused that I needed to do this and do well and get a job and that would take me, um, you know, away from home. Not that there was anything sort of wrong at home. I just had this thing that I wanted to leave home and, and see the world. And um, I got offered a job from the placement that I did at the Carlisle Crest Hotel which was great, but it was right on the edge of the motorway. So at sort of 17 as I, I was then, I, I couldn't drive. I'd, it, was, I'd have been, it was too remote for me. So I said, thank you, but no thank you. But if you have any other hotels that are in city centres, I'd love to you know, be considered. So from that, I got offers at Preston, Liverpool and Wrexham. And I decided Preston was too near to, to where I lived. Um, but I decided I'd go to Wrexham. So a couple of weeks after my 17th birthday, I emigrated to Wales. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, it was interesting because I, I went, um, they invited me to go there over the Easter weekend and work. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, there was another girl there who worked Good Friday and Easter Saturday. And I was working Easter Sunday and the Monday, but I'd gone there on the Saturday to stay over and be ready. And um, there was one job and two of us and Kerry, who was the other girl, and I both got jobs and are still firm friends. We've been friends for like, over 40 years now. Um, I'm godmother to her daughter. And um, yeah, it was it was a start of something fabulous. So I, yeah, I, I started as a hotel receptionist. I very soon, within 12 months, was promoted from a trainee to a junior to a receptionist. And then I was offered a job in Welling Garden City, which at that time for me was the other end of the world. And I went down there and within another year, I was deputy head receptionist. And it was interesting because I'd left home. So it, I remember being at a nightclub at Stupid O'Clock one time thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I've got to get home. And then I thought, no, I haven't. Nobody, nobody's watching me. I can go home whenever I want sort of thing. Um, it gave me a really good grounding um, in life, just generally, some of the things that we had to deal with. Um, I remember at Wrexham once, um, there was, we, everybody was snowed in one particular time, and we used to have a minibus that took us from the staff house to the hotel, and there was Kerry and myself and one other girl that could, we were the only sort of members of staff that could get there. And there were about 40 German tourists that needed breakfast and needed checking out and a coach ready to pick them up. So I decided I'd be head chef that day. Kerry was the waitress. <laughs> and um, I can't remember the other girl, but she must have checked everybody out. So I, yeah, I did 40 full breakfast, 40 full English. Um, because that's what you did. You were, you were part of a great team. You just mucked in and, you know, you got on with it. Wonderful. It's, I, I can hear the threads of who you are and what you do in these stories that you're telling. 
you know, your emphasis on collaboration and not competition. I can imagine a lot of people faced with two people and one job would have gone into competition mode and I have to beat them and I have to be better than them and possibly even do some not very nice things to sabotage the other person or, you know, whatever. I mean, we hear of these stories and I love the fact that your approach was like, yay, let's be friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting because I was asked at an interview recently um, what what was the question? It was something like, you know, what qualifications do you have to run a network? And I, th I was thinking about it and I thought, well, actually, for over 40 years now, I've been welcoming people. You know, at the time, they were hotel guests from all over the place. I've been making people feel comfortable, making people that were traveling, you know, maybe on their own. We had a lot of businessmen making them feel sort of safe, looked after. And actually, I've, you know, I've got a City and Guild 709 that, that confirms that I have the, that's my qualification. Um, it's really weird how through life um, I've ended up doing what I'm doing now. But it's actually, you're right, I, I hadn't thought about it like that. But even, you know, Kerry and I, and that's happened on a, and there's another occasion where um, when I was in IT, I went to work for a, quite a big company in Warrington and they put me in a team where there was only one other woman. And all the guys in the team literally stood back um, as I walked in the room. And we were both sort of, you know, five foot six blonde. And I think they expected an explosion. And Sarah, who's the girl that I met there, and I, she's another one, we're really good friends. And I'm godmother to her daughter as well. So. Um, it, it, it's obviously something that's in, inbuilt with me, but I, it, you know, I don't go on the attack. I am a, you know, let's work together, let's fix things. Um, and you know, you're getting far more from collaborating and working together. I totally agree. I've never understood it when I've had women that I've met who they have friends who are bitchy and who are mean to them. And I'm like, I, but that's not friendship. <laughs> yeah, they're not your friends. <laughs> huh? It just boggled my mind that yeah. they seem to have this expectation of this is how women behave. And I think it's such a negative stereotype. You know, the fact that the men were expecting you to be at loggerheads. Yeah. It's like, well, it, why? I'm, no, I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced the guys were all taking bets. It was that sort of a thing, you know. It was it it it, it was IT. It was very male dominating, and I think if you if you threw a couple of women in there, they expected an explosion. They expected some sort of entertainment, and they were bitterly disappointed because they didn't get any. <laughs> well, I I think that's wonderful, and I I really want people to understand that you know. Things don't have to be that way. They really don't. And if, you know, where, because I know people, there's a particular person I'm thinking of who has this attitude that women don't make good managers because they've had some negative experiences. Yeah. And, but just because they've had some isolated experiences you know, and I know what they've experienced is they've experienced women who kind of adopted more male type, more masculine type personas 
in order to get ahead. And that definitely is a thing that knowingly or unknowingly some women can do. Yeah. And it may get them ahead, but it usually doesn't have them feeling fulfilled or being authentic. And I think every leader, every employee, every person, we all have a balance of masculine and feminine energy and traits. And actually in business, we need a balance of both. Yeah, exactly. We do. And again, I think, you know, we've come a long way as women in business, but even when I was in corporate world, it, it would be unheard of for me to wear bright colors and to, to, to be girly. You know, we were, we were very much booted and suited. And again, that's a little bit like, you know, we've got to take on this masculinity in, in some ways, whether it's through our dress. Um, I mean, it certainly was for me. And I, I got to the stage where I would wear sort of a nice dress, but I'd always have a dark jacket over it. <laughs> you know, the, the, right. there was just that, you just wouldn't go that whole hog. So you were making that concession to having to have that more I don't know what 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 would you even call it well it was it was um I always said I was you know booted and suited but you know with a, a bit of girliness there as well it, which is ridiculous really you know that and that was all part of uh, me wanting to to do and to run this one network for women from those sort of backgrounds because I've networked for a, for a long long time and I used to feel a bit like a fraud going into these places dressed like that. I didn't want to be talking about the, you know, the subjects that they'd be talking about, which were all very masculine. And I remember sitting in a, a boardroom. I'd, taken, I'd, I'd been up early, I had to drive over to Sheffield, and I was sitting in a boardroom um, ready to start a meeting. And the rest of the, the people in the room were men. And we spoke or the conversation for 45 minutes was football and whoever had played the night before. And I remember sitting there, and this was sort of towards the end of, of my career where I was just getting angrier and angrier thinking, why, why do we allow things like this to go on? Um, so hopefully, you know, one little network at a time will be changing it. <laughs> Tell me a bit more about that role um I, I know in fact maybe the that role or the role before i know where you were managing a small team yeah so well i i fell into um into sort of sales really because i i after being a receptionist and and you know having a great job there i um i got married and because um in in um hospitality the pay is not particularly good and once I got married we had a house I didn't need to live I didn't need to have the accommodation so I, I suddenly thought well actually I can go and work wherever I want now so I, I did um, get a job as a sales secretary and then from there I got a job as a PA to two directors of an IT company and um, got me Miss Moneypenny role which I really I, yeah, I loved <laughs> it I really enjoyed the guys were fabulous um, and this would have been back in the sort of mid to late 80s. And we used to sell digital equipment, so deck products. We did a, a, um, an exhibition every year at 
Olympia or, or one of the, the Barbican, somewhere like that. And this one particular year, I've been on the stand, you know, taking people's business cards. This was before we had PCs or anything. So everything was very manual. And I collected all the business cards. Um, we finished the exhibition and the two directors were both doing the private pilot's license. So I didn't see a lot of them throughout the summer. I ran the office. I carried on doing what I needed to do. And when they came back in, they called me in the office and said, how come we've got all this business? Where, where have all these orders come from? So I said, well, all the business cards that we collected, I've sort of collated into a file. And I phoned everyone up and said, you know, hi, nice to see you. You know, I'm Susie from Chilton. And, I, and some of the people wanted products. I knew that we could get the products. I knew where we bought the products from. So I just put two and two together. And I was always labelled down there as a friendly northerner because I was in Chalfont, St. Peter, Chalfont, St. Giles and, you know, um, sort of the greater London there. Um, and unbeknown to me, I, I started selling things. I, I made a difference. And this order book was um, huge. And they sort of sat there and thought, yeah, okay called me back in at five o'clock and said, Susie, we don't want you to work as our PA anymore. At which point my bottom lip went because I thought, oh, I've overstepped the mark. I've done something wrong here. They said, we want to buy you a car and we want you to go out as our sales manager because what you've done here is absolutely first class. And I was thinking, this is ridiculous. It's very, to me, it was common sense, you know, just follow things up. Um, but I did. I, I, um, I went out, they got me a car and I started selling I started you know I became a salesperson um from there I I actually my marriage ended and I ended up moving back up north so that's when I went to work for the, the company I mentioned where I was putting the team with Sarah and then from there I went to work for another company that were over in Leeds again I was the, originally I was an account manager for them and I went over one Christmas with the bottle of scotch to the MD to sort of say thank you for your business and you know have this bottle of scotch on me and he said um, I don't want your bottle of scotch I want you to come and work for me and I was like whoa <laughs> I wasn't expecting that um, but I did I went over there and I used to go from Chorley to Morley um, every day loved the job loved, loved the whole thing um, and he was building up a team so when I got there there were no other women in the working in the business but I think there was one in um, dispatch but there was no other women um and before I left I was there for five years they brought one other woman in again who's another good friend um and I built a team up there so I started off with a with a number and I had to obviously you know sell and, and get the number which I did and then I ended up with um three guys working for me great guys and um I think I did a good job. We're all still friends on Facebook. <laughs> After all, Charlotte thinks she's got lots of uncles because I always call, I always say uncle this and uncle that. Um, but I think I, I ran the team well in a fair way. It was it was about numbers, but it wasn't all about numbers. A lot of a lot of um, that's a very masculine way of, of, of running teams. So I empathise when you know one of them was you know, his wife was having the baby and stuff. I, I was quite happy with him being there. I understood that he needed to be there and that his numbers would get looked after. So I think I threw a bit of a, a female spin on it. Well, the, 
there's definitely research showing that having a gender balance massively increases productivity. Um, I don't have that statistic to hand, but I do have another one that I'd like to share with you. And it's some research that was done by uh, Kellogg Insights. Uh, they're at the Northwestern University in America. Um, and it, it starts off saying to land top jobs, women need different types of networks than men. And basically what the research is saying is that men get better jobs when they have a highly connected uh, network. So in other words, they could be connected to only three or four or five people. But if those people are connected, even if that relationship is weak, they actually do really well. In fact, they will get a job that's ranked one and a half times higher than men that are kind of in the, the bottom quartile. So that, that top quartile, this concept of centrality of they're closely connected to these people who have bigger connections. But interesting with women is that the women only did as well as those top quartile men when they had that centrality network and they had a strong circle of female connections and the quality of the relationship really mattered. So they couldn't have a acquaintance type relationship like the men could. And the, the research, researchers were surmising that the, the men's network, they just needed information that was kind of readily publicly available, like who was recruiting and those kinds of things. And that would help them to get to the right place and to get a, a good job. The fact that they were maybe referred, those kinds of things. But for women that they actually needed inside information, private information that wouldn't be available publicly to help them to be able to, uh, to achieve. And what that actually meant was that those women who had that close network actually had an average job rating of two and a half times higher than women whose networks lacked the centrality factor and that close female uh, circle of, of you know, female connections. So I'm curious, what's your thoughts on this, Susie? Oh, gosh. Um, well, with men, it's, it's jobs for the boys a bit, isn't it? it is, it's, they, men network differently to, to us, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know what... I don't know what my thoughts about that are. Is, is that that we, as women, if we have those connections, we do a lot better than men? Yeah. Yes. And, which they, they is need actually... To be closer. Yeah, and it's about being real as well, isn't it? You know, that it's not about sort of being fickle and just floating around the top of something. It's about actually getting in there and getting to know, you know, like you were saying, if when I network, even when I was networking, when I was working with, um, with a lot of men, I would know the wives' names, the wedding anniversary, the children's names, and when as an account manager as well as a, as a sort of senior account director when you know those those sort of details of someone it makes the bond stronger so i think it's maybe it's a trick that the men need to learn <laughs> well not necessarily <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll keep it to ourselves that one
Have you ever wondered why most time management and productivity systems fail despite the huge amount of information that is out there? So why is it that so many business owners end up overworked and sometimes even burnt out? The answer is flow, or rather a lack of it for too many people. I've put together a free 50-minute jam-packed training video where you'll find out how to consistently get in flow, how to increase sales, reduce stress and overwhelm, and have more fun, focus, and creativity without being worked into the ground. Now, here's some things that I'll reveal on this free video training. So number one, what is flow? The nine elements of it and how to identify it, why it's so important to reduce stress and overwhelm and increase focus. Number two, why many well-meaning business coaches, consultants and trainers can actually handicap you from having sustainable growth. Number three, the three specific elements of flow that you need in place in your business and the simple yet profound tool that makes this easy to do. Number four, the golden rule of flow that underpins everything without which it's impossible to implement in your business. And number five, the one thing that will free up your time and increase your productivity so that you can get what's most important done. And you'll also learn the real reason behind why even those who do know how to get into a flow state often end up not mastering it. Sound good? Well, many other business owners just like you have told me how much they got from this training too. So head over to creativeflow.tv, get flow, or click the link in the episode description. So... Yeah, and one of the things that the researchers talked about was that some of that inside information might be things like, here's what to say in this interview so that you are thought of as highly as other men. So there, there can be, there is a stereotype of a perception in the recruitment industry that women aren't always as committed to their career as men if they are more family focused or at certain yeah. stages of their lives, for instance. Um, and so that they might be saying to them, oh, say this for this company so that they know that you're committed and they take you as seriously as some of the, the male candidates. So they figured it was that kind of information. So they were tracking uh, male and female MBA graduates and they looked at their email exchanges, anonymized, they had no idea what was in the email, but they looked at the frequency of the, the quantity of emails between people and how quickly people responded based on the idea, well, you know, you always respond to your friends first, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but would I, th I think women are better at that anyway. I mean, I was a, a PA, so I'm very, in, in terms of admin and responding to things, I know I'm on it, but I think it's something that women do better than men anyway. You know, you respond quicker and you might respond you, you know when where a man would just sort of park an email you might have a couple of conversations around it that, that, that i think so i think that's i think women are a little bit different anyway, yeah the uh, but i think that also depends on people's personalities <clears throat> yeah so susie you are an extroverted person you are totally a people person you're also quite grounded and you know focused on those details about people and 
so you know where i mean there will be other women who are not like that who you know don't have that same focus on the relationship and and nurturing things in exactly the same way so i would say um for you that's totally true but it might not be true for all women however there is definitely i think there's a need for this close network for women to be able to help them to get on in their jobs and one of the things i'm curious about is has research been done about women getting you know women-owned businesses getting contracts because of this like are they getting customers and clients because they have that close circle of um female friends and connections that actually share that kind of information Yeah. And maybe that's, you know, where what you're doing can come in as well. Yeah, I'm sure there must be. I, I mean, I, I know from the groups that I'm involved with, I know the amount of business that goes on there. I mean, it's not something that's in the public domain, really. But sort of sitting where I sit, I can see a lot of business going on, a lot of, of businesses pass, and women will pass business. We try and, and encourage to keep it within the groups, but we'll pass business out. And, and if there's a certain um, need and we don't know a lady that would do it, then we work with, with men in the same way. Um, I'm sure that uh, women in business do a, an awful lot of business with other women. I think many will do that on purpose. What's one common myth about women's networking? Um, that there's no business done, I think, that it's sort of, you know, let's sip coffee and, and gossip. <laughs> uh, and it, it really isn't like that. I mean, we sip coffee, coffee and we might have an odd gossip, but there is an awful lot of business done in a very comfortable, um, non-judgmental, supportive way. Um, I think a lot of women's groups are, I think there are a couple of things. I think people think we're either men haters, you know, women's libbers. We don't want, you know, we don't want men around us. That's not the case at all. We are just acknowledging that women are very different to men. We network differently to men. We we're very different creatures. Um, and, but we do as much business We, you know, and so in some cases we do an awful lot more business. Tell me more now about your own team in Unique Ladies. So you've got 10 people in your team, is that right? How many people have I got? I'll probably forget so many if I can't use <laughs> all my fingers. Yeah, there's a, there's a great team. Um, the first three ladies that came on board when I had the idea to franchise were Dawn Roberts, uh, Lynn Meadowcroft and Joe Peruza. So um, between those three, they have six networks. Um, between them now so they all put their hands up straight away and said I would love to do this um, then we then after that we had um, I think Nikki was the next one who came on board um, then Nicola then Dot and then Tracy and we have Charlotte who does sort of a lot of admin and social media for us and then we used um, Julia Page who does all our admin and things um, they're, they're up they're absolutely fabulous women, all of them. They are all very different, but they're all women that care very much about um, the women in their groups and us as a, as a unique ladies family. 
So everybody's very supportive. We're all on the same page. Um, any one of those women would help any one of those women if they needed, you know, at the last minute, you know, I'm, I'm not well, I can't do something. They would be jumping in. So it's a real, it's a brilliant team to be part of. Um, and it's a brilliant team to have created, you know, by default, but it's, you know, it's something that, that we've created. And I'm just so proud of each and every one of them and, and what they do for the, the wider women in the community. So one of the things that I'm curious about, because many of my guests on here, they have teams of employees. You don't have employees, you have franchisees. And so that means they have bought their business, you know, from you, you created the business model and the, the how to run it, how to market it, all those kinds of things. And that's what they're buying into, but they're effectively their own individual business owners. Yeah. What do you think is the process behind getting what is actually more, what, what more traditionally would be thought of as a work group? that you all have a commonality in that they work with you in partnership with you as the franchisor, but they each have their own individual businesses. And so it's not a traditional team in the sense of that they actually need each other to get their own work done to, to achieve their objectives. So it's not about the collective objective it's the, they each have their own business objectives with yeah. it. Yeah. So in a lot of environments, those franchisees might not be so supportive, might not be so prepared to step in and help, might not work together in the way that you're describing. So what do you believe is the process behind, you know, when you're dealing with people who actually are, business owners or perhaps contractors or even volunteers you know the people who are not direct employees that they kind of they need to do what they're supposed to be doing or they don't get paid <laughs> you know that they they have a lot more uh discretion so to speak about what they choose to do and choose not to do so what do you think are some of those elements that have helped you to create the team that you have well i think um i would say failure initially because a couple of people that got involved early on um, clearly had more of a, a lone wolf mentality, didn't get the team thing. And the way we run Unique Ladies, it's, about the, it's not about us, it's about the women that come to our networks. And if somebody makes an inquiry on social media about a network, it's never been about, oh, come to mine, you know, I'm, I'm looking after myself because the people that do that are the ones that don't succeed. It's about come to us. We are a group. We have lots of franchisees. Um, you know, what area do you work in? Well, then let me introduce you to Wahida or Nicola or whoever it happens to be. It's really about um, being a team player and knowing that end goal is not about them. It's not about me. It's not about individual ones. It's about the women and it's about supporting all the women as a, as a group. So really it's about the impact that they're making. Yeah. And I think they, the, the ladies that are with us now, absolutely 
get that 100% that, you know, they've nailed it. So I think that the failure from the, you know, the ones that didn't work taught me huge lessons. Like, you know, failure is a great thing. People, you know, people um, complain about or, or think it's a bad thing. But if you learn from where you've gone wrong, then it's 100% a good thing. So when I had been approached by ladies who are interested in the franchise, it's by no means, yes, you can have one. It's a, a bit more of, well, what can you do? What are you going to bring to the table? Who are your connections? Why do you network? And it's really about them understanding why we do what we do. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, I think failure has helped grow this you know it what it, it, it like i said when i first started i was going to run one and then i, I was asked to do another one because it works and then another and i was doing four and i felt that i was spreading myself a little bit too thinly which is why i had the idea to do what i what i did um and now it just seems to be going from strength to strength but it's all driven by the women that come to the groups and then um, recognizing and acknowledging and, and appreciating the value that they get from them and telling their friends who might be a little bit further afield so we can you know we can keep growing absolutely and of course now you have uh, an as a result of covid you're going forward with a national monthly online meeting as well aren't you yeah so we had a franchisee meeting via zoom um a week or so ago and when this happened, when the lockdown happened, we straight away went into let's support the women mode. So we started running the groups free of charge on Zoom and they've been great. We've got we've had lots more women in. We've had women that we've not been able to get to know very much. Um, but the general consensus was we will continue doing this afterwards in addition to having our physical meetings. So I run three groups. I have Bolton, Chorley and Sefton. And I was of the mind that I didn't really want to do three. And I, I know my Chorley ladies particularly, and they, like a lot of the, the Bolton ones actually, are, are the ones that like to meet up. So well, quite a few of my Chorley ladies have never been on the Zoom because it's just not comfortable for them. So I wasn't that bothered about doing a Zoom one myself for Chorley. I'd rather just be out there meeting the ladies. But what I did say was what I thought I would do was run one that was for everybody, for all the women in the groups, for all the franchises. So each, it was up to the, each woman to whether they wanted to do one. So, you know, I know Dawn's doing one and Dawn runs Blackburn and Hindburn. So she will possibly do a, um, an additional one for all of the ladies from those two groups. But it was a general conversation and, and it developed into actually because, because it's, covid and because we're zooming um if we're going to do this regularly they can come from anywhere you don't have to just be in the northwest we had a lady jump on bolton who was from bolton but lived up in st andrews and it was that sort of thing that was like, hang on a minute this is better for the women because it's for them they're widening their network so i decided i would do unique ladies national zoom which starts the first one's on the 10th of september um, we're doing it in very in the similar way. So we'll have an inspirational speaker at each one of them. We've got some great speakers lined up. I pushed it out through social media and we've got, I think there's about eight ladies already booked on. Some I do know, 
but the first lady to book on was from Chelmsford in Essex. Um, I've spoken to, she's a, a, an HR specialist in construction. Um, for me, that's brilliant. For me, that's great because I didn't particularly want to see all the ladies I knew on there. I wanted to try and find new ladies that we could introduce to the other ladies. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's, um, it's been interesting, obviously. Um, it's been interesting times, hasn't it, since March? And lots of businesses have had problems, but Unique Ladies has just soared. And we had, um, we launched a new one. We launched Kendall on the 1st of May, which was scheduled um, to launch in September anyway. But because we were doing the other Zooms, Tracy, who launched it, was sort of chomping at the bit. She went, I want to do this now. So it was a great way of creating a, an interest and, and um, you know, promoting the brand up in Cumbria. Uh, and, and it's just gone from strength to strength. And like I said, the numbers we've had on the Zooms have been fantastic. And um, yeah, we're going to just continue with them. Marvellous. And I, I definitely can second what you said about it being a network where you get business. I've had business from going. I've enjoyed attending. I've enjoyed speaking. It's uh, it's definitely one that I've carried on with. And, and I went originally because I was having lunch with my friend and she said, I'm going to this network. Come here first. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Don't you love stories like that? Who was your friend? Who were you having lunch Marie. with? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um one of the things that i'd love you to share is actually what prompted you to leave the corporate world and end up becoming a business owner in your own right yeah it was a bit of a fluke so i can i can now confirm it was the menopause that made me do it but at the time i didn't know i um I think you should get I, a t-shirt saying the menopause make me do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great idea. Um, we'd, we'd sell lots, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. um, I was 48-ish, something like that. So it's 10 years ago, really. And I suddenly, from nowhere, started to suffer from anxiety. And um, the company that I work for, a large telecoms company, I used to go to our Sheffield office once a week. I used to go on a Tuesday, stay over, come back on a Wednesday. And I, I found myself on two separate occasions sitting at my dressing table crying. I didn't know why I was crying. I thought I was going mad. Uh, I'd not slept well. I was really suffering from bad anxiety. I'd never experienced it before in my life. And then the, the thing that compounded it was once I got into work, I started forgetting things and then I started worrying that I was going to forget even more things and I was going in to do presentations. I never had a problem doing a presentation. I never forgot anything in the presentation, but I panicked so much about forgetting something in the presentation and looking stupid that I had a conversation with myself one day and just thought, I can't, I can't keep doing this. This is just not good. Um, I ended up, having a one-to-one -one with my boss. They were, the other thing was they were changing the, the um, senior management team and they changed it every six months for sort of two years or something. And I was, the, the word that came to mind and what I said to him was, 
I'm so, I don't want to do this anymore. And he sort of sat opposite me and said, what do you mean you don't want to do it? I said, I just don't, I keep putting myself through this. I'm so disenchanted with the whole telecoms thing with, you know, I like, I liked him, you know, it's not you. Um, it's me. I just don't, I just want to, don't want to do it anymore. I, and his response was, your numbers are great. You've done, so, you've hit your target. And it was like, what? I, did, I really didn't want to, I didn't give a, a fig for the, for the numbers. Um, How did it make you feel when he said that? Frustrating. I, I just found the whole thing, it was very, um, I, I felt alien to all of it. I, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I just did not know. Luckily for me, um, my husband Ronnie and I, we were we'd been married um, nearly six years, so we we were planning to get married. We we were already for getting married, and he'd said to me, um, "You don't have to work so hard. You you know you're out at stupid o'clock and you're back at stupid o'clock, and you don't have to let me look after you," which is a very nice thing to say. But at the time, I'd been a single mum for years. And I was fortunate that I was in IT, telecoms, I had a good salary, I had a nice car. We had lots of holiday. You know, I, I was in a really nice position and I was a bit loath to, to give that up. For, you know, I was independent financially, you know, socially, in any, every way possible. So, but it, it, he mentioned it a few times. Anyway, this one particular meeting, I, I just said to, to my, my manager then, I'm done. I'm just, I don't want to come back. I just made the decision there and then. And I'd stayed, I think I left the office about seven o'clock that evening. So I was obviously late home, but we ironed a few things out and I didn't have to go back. He did a deal with me then. They paid me everything they owed. I still have my laptop and my phone think it's still in the attic because nobody bothered to pick it up from it but that to me epitomized the scandal of what goes on in those large corporates that people really you know your numbers and it you don't matter and um, I remember driving home and Ronnie phoned me and where are you and I said oh, I'm just coming over the Barton Bridge and he said have you had a good day and I said I've had a great day and he said what have you done I said I've resigned he went you've resigned he said what are you going to do? I said, I'm going off at the Trafford Centre. I'm going shopping and left it at that. And um, I had a, I didn't work, that was sort of June, July time. I didn't work until the September. I decided I was going to take the summer off. And within three days, I got a phone call from a guy around the corner who had an IT company, who I knew, I'd, I'd worked with him previously, and um, come and have a coffee. And I was like, I don't want a coffee. And I ended up going and, and doing sort of a, a short-term contract with him and bringing motivated sales team and bringing a new client on and things like that. And I did that a couple of times. Um, but interestingly, it started becoming apparent that there was something else going on. And, and as I started the story, it was menopause and nobody tells you, I've found out a lot more since, but nobody tells you it's not spoken about. But the average age for a woman to start menopause is 39. Um, I, I was listening to the radio the other day and they were talking about COVID. And they were talking about this um, 
strain of, of COVID or the, the long-term effects or the lots of different effects that are on there. And there was a woman on who, who was saying she suffers from anxiety. She's had this, she's had that. And I'm screaming at the radio, you're menopausal. And then she said, Anna, I'm only 38. And I'm like, you, men you must be menopausal. This isn't COVID. It, for me, there, there were all these symptoms that, um, that we all get, but we, 99% of us do. Some people are lucky and sail through it. But um, for me, it was, um, once I realized that what it was, it, it was like a light went off. It, it, was, um, it was brilliant. But one of the things that I still think about quite often is if I didn't know that's what was happening to me, how could anybody else? How, how do people manage things like that? You know, when you, you're in a court, I, I could, could have been a, a senior manager with a lot of women working for me and these women for different reasons but you know for the reason is menopause could be suffering from anxiety and all sorts of stuff they don't know what's up with them you, you can't see it as a manager that that's what they're going through so for me there's a whole other conversation that needs to be had and I know there are through the groups I know there are sort of specialists that, that will go into companies and discuss things like that now but it's a whole other can of worms Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I actually have uh, gone and spoken to Julie Dennis, who is an expert in this. Um, I explained a bit about your story from our previous conversation. And um, I'm just going to play now what she said. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that afterwards. I am a menopause trainer and what that means is I partner with organisations across the UK to help raise awareness, educate and improve the experience of people working through menopause. Wonderful. And what kind of benefits do companies have from doing this? The benefits are huge. You're looking at increased engagement, improved performance, improvements in gender parity. Essentially, you're setting yourself up as an employer of choice. Wonderful. So I gave you a bit of background in terms of what has gone on with Susie and her mm. situation. And I'd love to hear your advice from two perspectives. Uh, from an employee who is having a similar experience to what Susie did and also from the employer point of view. So let's talk with the employer point of view first. So in terms of where you start as an employer, it's generally about having conversations. What I find with a lot of my clients is there's typically there's a trigger and very often it's someone like Susie who has been doing really well at work, who's a high achiever, who's very confident, and suddenly she finds she's struggling, but she hides the fact that she's struggling. So for employers, it can be quite difficult to recognize there's anything going on, but eventually someone will come and speak to HR or occupational health or a manager to say, this is what's going on, how can you help me? And then it's up to the employer to continue that conversation, to be open to that conversation, to educate themselves, potentially to set up focus groups, ask questions internally about, you know, to try and gauge interest about how employees generally feel about menopause and then do what they can to raise awareness. And that awareness can come in different forms. It can be something as simple when we were actually in the office as a poster campaign. You can ask people to share personal stories if they're happy to do that. And that's really one of the quickest ways 
ways to spread awareness because as humans we learn through stories right and looking at the behaviors of others or you can bring in external providers like me to help run training sessions workshops webinars policy support e-learning all the lovely stuff that we're we're doing online now but the key thing for an employer is to engage with your stakeholders in other words your workforce and to be open to those conversations just going to play angel's advocate here what what about the people who might think well women have been having menopause since the year dot what's changed why does this need to be addressed in the workplace <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, there's nothing new about menopause. It's always been around. But what has changed amongst other things are the demographics around women and working. So women now make up nearly half the UK workforce. Women aged 50 to 64 are the fastest growing economically active group in the UK. About 75% of women of a menopausal age are in work. And to put some context around that, that's about five or six million women across the UK. And three out of four of them are experiencing symptoms. So the demographics around women in working have changed. You also need to understand the legal risk. We've seen a handful of cases in recent years where women have been performance managed out because of the way menopause was affecting them at work. And they've then gone on to successfully taken their employers to tribunal. And that's including big organisations like BT, embarrassment for organisations like the Scottish Courts and Tribunal Services. Who else have we got? Bon Marche, the retailer, have also been taken to court recently. So there's a big re legal risk. You know, the business case for looking at this is as compelling as the wellbeing case. And I guess it's part of the wellbeing case, really. Yep. So, so yes, menopause is well-being, but menopause is really, it should sit within an organisation's inclusion strategy. It's a conversation that everybody should be invited into in the same way that we're all invited into the mental health conversation. And it's important to remember that not every woman will experience menopause. And equally, not everybody who experiences menopause will identify as a woman. And let's not forget, if you're a partner, sharing a, a home or a bed with someone who's not sleeping or struggling with anxiety or having terrible mood swings, then that's going to have an effect on your life as well, both professionally and personally. So menopause, we should all be talking about it if we want to, or we should all least, at least feel comfortable hearing conversations about it. I think that's a great point. And I actually do know a transgender woman who is going through menopause myself. <laughs> So there yeah, I totally yeah. guess your point. Yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. It's not a women's health topic. It's a it's a topic that we should all be talking about. Absolutely. It's impacting a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. um, Julie, what would you say to somebody who is experiencing new symptoms and they don't know what is going on? Um educate yourself, preferably not with Google. <laughs> I think, you know, there's, there's plenty of evidence-based research out there about what's going on with menopause. I would, um, first of all, as an employee, check on your internet at work, because there may already be information there. There might be some fact sheets. There might be some signposting as to where you can go and get further information. Have a chat with your mother, if that's possible. Have a chat with friends of a similar age. Ask them if they're feeling the same way. Or from a workplace perspective, talk to occupational health. You could call your employer assistance program. 
you could speak to HR or if you felt comfortable doing so you could speak to your manager but I think you know what happened with Susie or what seems to have happened is that she kept it all to herself and of course the the quickest way to get help and to understand what's going on is to share the experience and ask for help. And I think, you know, one of the big benefits around talking at menopause, about menopause at work, especially for the people experiencing symptoms, is that whole shared experience and that, oh my God, it's not just me who's feeling like this. And what, you mean this is actually normal? <laughs> because as normal as it is, it is a natural part of the life cycle. It doesn't feel normal when you're, when you're you know, awake at three o'clock in the morning, sweating heavily. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it's so interesting because certainly from Susie's point of view, she had no idea that mm -hmm. it was menopausal symptoms yeah. that was causing her to feel that way. And there wasn't at that time, now this is going back a few years, so things may have changed in that organization since, but at that time there was no well-being at work, there was no mental health first aiders, there was nobody that she felt she could talk with about it. But I think you've given some great points of... Yeah, even a, a trusted a trusted colleague, you know, maybe she had a, a kind of best work friend that she could have had that conversation with. But yeah, things have changed an awful lot in the last, you know, 10 years when it comes to, you know, we wouldn't have considered talking about anxiety or depression at work 10 years ago, but now it's really unusual to find an organization that doesn't have mental health first aiders in place. And then we're gonna see the same happening with menopause. You know, it's really coming hot on the heels of, of the mental health initiative. And what would you say to a small company? So, you know, a lot of our listeners, they're not in corporates. They're, they're small businesses. They might only have 10, 20, 50, you know, a couple of hundred staff. They might not have the resources to have all those programs in place. Yep. So you can, there's this quite easy to do something yourself you know find like-minded people within the place where you work and just set up an informal meetup on a, a, a fortnightly or monthly basis where you just get together and you just talk about how you're feeling what's worked for you what hasn't what you can do to ensure that you can still do your job to your best of ability and manage your relationships at home so it's going back to that shared experience thing so yeah menopause meetups every couple of weeks or, or, or monthly over zoom now probably but uh, a few months ago you could have done it in person and hopefully a few months into the future we'll be able to do that in person again indeed i think that's a great idea it's it's simple it doesn't cost the organization i think that's some great advice uh, wonderful thank you very much judy i think it's been great to get your perspective on this and hopefully everybody listening to this please share it out because this is the kind of advice that we want more and more women to hear and to understand so that we can get to the Susies before mm. they they make what is potentially a life-changing you know, life The last thing we need is people leaving the workforce because of menopause. <laughs> exactly. Now, I guess it, sometimes it's going to turn out great. <laughs> I know Susie's very happy with the direction. If that you want to go, go. But if you want to stay, stay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think being able to make the distinction between I, I want to go because I have these symptoms and I think there's something wrong with me and I want to go because my workplace isn't handling things very well or maybe there's some other things going on in around mm. leadership or politics, then you're able to make that decision from a, a rational place looking at the facts yeah, yeah from an informed an place. Knee -jerk. Mm. yeah 
rather than an emotional knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Julie, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Um, okay, so find me on LinkedIn, Julie Dennis, Menopause, just come and connect with me, or otherwise my website, which is www.juliedennis.net. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Una. Lovely to chat. Okay, so <laughs> we've heard now from Julie Dennis, Susie. I'm just curious as to what you might have resonated with, agreed with, disagreed with. What's your thoughts? Yeah. I thought she said a lot of very sensible things. It was really interesting. Um, for me, 10 years ago, it, it was to be a woman in a man's environment. So my, my closest work colleagues were other men. I would never have dreamt of saying that because, again, it was a very competitive, it was such a competitive industry. And if I'd have tried to have that conversation with any of those guys I'd have looked like the weak and feeble woman that would that is how that would have been perceived I, I I didn't know that I didn't know what was happening with me but I couldn't have I would have I would have made myself very vulnerable if I'd have spoken out about how I was feeling because you just didn't do it in that industry um, interestingly since then I mean, obviously, lots of things have happened with um, mental health at work and all that type of thing over the past 10 years. I was asked to speak at um, Deloitte in Manchester um, a couple of years ago. And I, the, the lady, Claire, who, who's the, um, one of the directors, are inviting me to run a network for the women within Deloitte. And they'd never experienced anything like the way we did the network. And I was their inspirational speaker. So I shared my story. So my gift, my parting gift to them was at some stage, if you're getting these, because there's lots of other um, symptoms that you, that you could get, um, then, you know, take it from me. It's menopause, go and ask for help, go and have a look at it. And it's very normal and you're not going mad because that was my fear that I was going mad. The other interesting thing that she said um, was speak to your mother. Well, my mum, who's, she's 81, she's fabulous, didn't have a single menopausal symptom because we had, you know, going talking about sort of girly things, she told me about periods and things when I was quite young because she started periods very, very young. So I, I thought we were probably on that same track, but my mum's menopause experience was wholly different to mine wholly completely different she sailed through it um so yeah that so that was interesting you don't necessarily take after your mother <laughs> right it's interesting actually because i know my mother she's deceased now um but she i don't think well kind of without going into details i know there were definitely challenges she was having like quite severely around the menopause time just when I was a teenager, in fact, so, you know, yay for hormones. And um, <laughs> and it was interesting because I also have gone through the menopause myself, but because I was having um, treatment for digestive issues, and which I don't know were if they were hormone related or not. I mean, they probably were more related to the fact that I had overeaten for many years because <laughs> I was miserable many, many years ago. Um, and that had a, a knock-on impact but yes i i actually had very minimal menopausal symptoms because i was taking herbs that actually helped to balance things 
so yeah check into that check into yeah. that ladies if you're um, uh, you know get the right support ever wondered how can I make a bigger impact with my business there's many ways for you to make an impact. Doing a great job with your customers, making an impact for your team are pretty much joint first place, in my opinion, anyway. As your business becomes more profitable and you get to distribute those profits, then, of course, you can look at giving back, which is just so much fun. Being generous in this way could even be construed as a kind of selfish because it feels so good. And the great news is, is that you don't need to wait to be a millionaire or a multimillionaire to be a philanthropist. You can start giving back today, utilising what Paul Dunn calls the power of small. So what do I mean by that? Well, you might have heard me mention my goal of helping small business owners to unlock an additional 100 million in hidden revenues and, while doing so, to create 1 million days of smiles for those in need. How can I impact 1 million people positively so that they smile? Well, by integrating giving back into my business in small ways that aren't hugely noticeable for me, yet have a massive impact for them. Now, how to do this is outlined in the book, Our Time to Rise, which is written by Steve Pipe and Paul Dunn, two of the most amazingly generous and kind-hearted men that I've ever met. Now, while you can buy the book on Amazon, and please feel free to do that because there's more money going back into uh, their organisation, I do have Steve and Paul's permission to share with you the free ebook version, which in fact I've written the forward to. So to get your copy, head over to creativeflow.tv, time to rise, or use the link in the description. The interesting thing is, is that doing this, figuring out how to apply the steps that are in the book. And actually, it's all laid out for you step by step anyway. It actually helps you to have a better business in the first place. So even if you're not too sure about wanting to give back, I highly recommend you get it and have a read. Um, I'm sure that you would only get good from it. So link again, creativeflow.tv forward slash time to rise. There's a couple of messages that I think for menopause when we are um, before, before girls start the periods, we're told about the birds and the bees at school or at home or wherever. I really strongly feel that the menopause should be part of that same conversation because it will come, you know, it, it, it's a fact it happens. Like she was saying, it's, it's not, it's not a new thing. And interestingly, I was on a panel with some ladies of Lancashire, uh, recently talking about women in business and about not the idea of you're not getting through the glass ceiling and there were four of us on the panel who had all walked out of corporate roles I think there was something like 120 years of experience that we all have that commerce is losing because we, we, we were uneducated you know if we'd have known then what we know now we might have done things differently but then again, I might not have started Unique Ladies. And, you know, I'm quite happy with, with my story and, and where it's led me. Um, but I'm equally um, keen for other women to understand that this is a very normal thing that happens. And I, I actually went on HRT, which helped me a lot. 
I'm off HRT now um, because you can't be on it for forever. But in the last few months, I'm suffering with really severe pain in my hands. And I thought it was arthritis. I've had, um, I've had tests, um, x-rays and things like that, and everything's completely normal. So this is a, like a hormonal thing. So that's another thing that happens. Um, I think the HRT had sort of kept it at bay, but something's going on at the moment. So my next port of call, which is actually this afternoon, is to the local health shop to have a really good conversation about what I, I need to be looking at, what I might be lacking in. I think that's a great idea. And what is wonderful now is that with health food shops and the internet and health coaches, we have the opportunity to get that kind of support and be able to take control um, to an extent anyway, yeah. <laughs> over our experiences, you know, with that. And I think there is also a mindset component because I know certainly with um, my own experience and some female uh, clients that I've worked with um, who have had like not not even necessarily for menopause but in terms of period symptoms that when they actually dealt with their own mindset issues around being a woman that their symptoms disappeared so everything yeah. works together yeah. it's you know there's never only just one thing that you can isolate so Yes, I think the key is to to be open minded and to explore and and get that support. Um, I just want to go back to what you said about that panel from a previous conversation. You'd mentioned about the well, you mentioned about the change in leadership every six months that was happening in that corporate your last corporate role. Yeah. What was the impact of like what was good or bad about those management changes? And what impact did that have on you? I didn't, think, I didn't think there was anything good about it because for me, to put someone in a, a management position for six months and if they haven't hit a number that perhaps wasn't the right number in the first place to just get rid. And, and it was, so, it was, that was ruthless. That's, that was telecoms for you. I don't think it's changed very much. Um, but I don't think the way that, they run it works for me again it can't always just be about a number it's got to be about you know more it's got to be about the man you know the the management of your clients and the customer services and customer services again in telecoms are atrocious and it doesn't matter you know it's not just the company i work for all of them in some way, shape or form. You only have to look on Facebook when, you know, someone's had an outage and I've experienced it myself. It's just appalling. And this is, it's a shame. This is what we are allowing people to get away with. And we're sort of trapped because we want Wi-Fi at home and we want, um, you know, whatever on TV. And we're at their mercy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, we sign these contracts that, you know, give us or give up them the control. We haven't got control. Um, it's, it's corporate gone mad. So basically what you're saying is the, the managers, they didn't hit their numbers and they got fired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which must be really unsettling for everybody who is seeing that going on. 
It's it, well, it, it is, but it's not. It's a way of life in that telecom and IT. So the the company that I work with with Sarah, going back to, oh gosh, what, where are we now? Probably twenty five years. Um, it was a standing joke that on a Friday, and I think it was the last Friday in the month, they'd have a black cab or they'd have a, a few black cabs there, because if your numbers hadn't been reached, you would be going home in a black cab. Wow. So they, you know, that those sort of companies would pay great salaries and you don't have nice flashy cars, but there wasn't anything um, there that was secure. There was no, no, you know, your security depended. It was, it was, you are as good as your last sale. And once that's done, that's gone. And then you've got a new month. And once that's done, that's gone. So it's really, you know, you're really under a lot of pressure to, to perform. Um, I, I didn't struggle with that. I was okay. Because, and I think it was because of the way I looked after my clients. I, you know, if I was struggling for a number, I would phone one of my clients and say, Can, I know you've got that in your plan. Can we bring it forward or something? You know, I would talk to them. I had a, a great relationship with people, but lots of people didn't do that. And yeah, and, and it wasn't just the, um, you know, the salespeople, the account managers, the account directors. This was, you know, the sales directors and, you know, the, the senior management team, they, they were just, yeah, in and out and in and out. And they'd come in with such a lot of great ideas and we're going to do this and we're going to, you know, rah, rah, rah. And it, six months down the line, see, yeah, that didn't happen. I'm convinced it's still, if I went back there now, I'm convinced that would still be the same story. Well, it takes a lot to change culture. It mm. takes, and particularly in a large organization like where you are working, there's a lot of staff and a lot of practices and policies and just ways of doing things. To change that is a mammoth effort and they actually have to want to change it. Yeah, and I think going back to what I was saying, that there will come a time and you know it might be in another 50 years or something where these companies realize when women like me with so much experience leave there's a big gaping hole there and i'm not the only one like i said it was an interesting conversation with the, the women around the, the board that we did um from different backgrounds there was another it but the other two were completely different backgrounds but the exact same story. And it, it suddenly occurred to me that, wow, that's, um, that loss to, to commerce in the UK, well, just in the UK, just in the Northwest, actually, there was huge. Hundreds of years of valuable um, knowledge that's just been let go. It, it's, it's ridiculous. Absolutely. Well, it's great that we have people like Julie who at least can go and help from that menopause perspective. And yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is why I do what I do is because I really believe that all employees, all business owners ought to be able to, you know, start their work day feeling happy yeah. and end their work day feeling happy, productive. They've been in flow. They've made a difference, you know, it's that, and it's that thing about making an impact, you know, which brings, you know, which you talked about in the way that you manage, you know, and, and uh, nurture your franchisees because you, you were 
once you'd learned from those earlier mistakes, you've obviously been very careful in filtering out the people who aren't concerned about mm. making an impact, where that isn't a priority for them, you know, where they're not aligned with your goals and the culture that you're creating within the Unique Ladies Network. Yeah. And that's really what, you know, organizations, when they do that, this is the thing, I think the short termism that happens in a lot of larger organizations um, is the kind of cutting off the nose despite their face because if they took the longer term approach of well actually let's make sure we have the right employee in the right place doing the right thing and um people actually managing well and and you know leading well then you know that is what actually makes a difference for sustainability and to have a workforce that is not stressed anxious and unproductive yeah, and going back to what um, she was saying about the education in the workforce, it, it's not just that workforce, but, you know, it, from a, a telecoms point of view, with all those men, those men are going home to wives that are going through the same thing. So exactly. they need to be educated because, you know, my husband didn't know what was going on with me. You know, it's, it's a difficult time for any, any couple to go through. And the guys would benefit as much as the women in those industries just by talking about it and you know having a bit of empathy with you know what's going on i mean men don't typically go down the pub and talk about their wives menopause but you know maybe they should maybe maybe that would help them and the wives absolutely well i know the with the work that judy does it's always the men and the women in the organizations that are getting that education so that's brilliant certainly that, at least that, it's open to them yeah yeah that should just be you know it should just be done as a matter of course well i love your idea of get them early yeah <laughs> make it part of the normal conversation yeah so it isn't something secret or shameful or anything like that it's i mean actually that that was one of the things for me was actually quite empowering of well, I'm, and it, and it happened quite early for me as well. It's, it's a new stage of life where actually uh, my health coach, she said, well, this is a time to rather than kind of go, go, go and do everything really, really fast that you can actually step into that wisdom of, you know, that you've gained over the years and you can slow down and be more focused and, so it can be a really empowering time if you take the right approach to it. So, yeah, fantastic. Susie, tell me, where do you want to take Unique Ladies to in terms of its growth, um, its impact, its revenues? What are your goals and dreams for it? Wow. Well, I thought about this. Um, last year, I was uh, nominated for an Urban Power Woman Award. Um, it didn't go anywhere, but I was just beside myself when I got the nomination. And I've just had another similar um, nomination for this year. So I know that these groups are making a difference to women. So my goal now will be to have, or is to have a unique ladies group in every town in the UK. And if we can do things further afield, then I'm happy to go further afield. It's, um, it's not a complicated, expensive um, 
format to do it's something that we've we've got down to a fine art we've got a great reputation um, the women that run the groups are doing a brilliant job the ladies that come to the network are benefiting from coming to the network all the networks that we run each one of them will work with a charity of the year and again it was you know when you sort of sit back and reflect we've raised over 100 grand in the five years for different charities which you know we we do it we just we just get on and do it it's we don't actually sort of go saying hey hang on a minute you know, do you know what we've done it's just part of what we do it's just a very gentle way of doing it but sometimes it's good just to you know wave that out a bit and say you know these people have benefited so for me if anybody is in a town somewhere where they need some camaraderie in business because that's what what we are it's, it's camaraderie in business um it's a, a really nice way of helping to grow your business as well as growing your own social network and you can be as involved or on or as little involved or as much involved as you want so we Gen, I think last year I was doing a ladies lunch virtually every month and the brilliant ways of raising awareness and helping charities and things like that and that to me is the perfect job you know my daughter and my husband still think that I just have coffee and do lunches it's been <laughs> curtailed a bit this year but um, yeah I, th I think the network can continue to grow and, and will benefit an awful lot more women and um, We've looked at having men come in and speak, and we have had some inspirational male speakers, um, but in some ways it goes against the grain. So all, every time we have a network, we have an inspirational lady speaker. So you've, you've been and spoken at, at some other groups, mm -hmm. and we've got some fabulous women lined up for the next few months and into next year. And for me, it, again, it's giving women that platform to share their stories, whatever that story happens to be, whether it's to promote a business at the end or to promote a charity that's started because of something that's happened. And um, it's, it's just good. It's just everything that we do is for the greater good. And we do it in a nice, supportive, kind way. Kind is one of those very old fashioned words, but it's a very important word. Um, and again, particularly when we've all had time to reflect over the last few months, what's been going on. I think we've all been a little bit grounded and, you know, priorities change, don't they? So I just want to carry on doing what I'm doing and doing it to the best of my ability. Fantastic. What do you see as being your key challenge in having a unique ladies in every city? Um, I won't have enough time. <laughs> I, um, I've got better at letting go, but I do like to, uh, I don't go to, to the other networks to spy or anything. I just really enjoy them. I enjoy what they stand for. Um, and I do try and go, you know, a couple of times a year to, to all of them. I end up just being networked out or zoomed out as it, as it is at the moment. Um, key challenges would be, again, it's, it's, if there's anything that's with a distance involved, it's getting to know those women that are doing it. It's, it's for me, it's all about the relationships. So it would be, you know, me spending time with the women to, to help them grow their, their networks. But I'm prepared to put the time in if, you know, if, if the women out there that, that need this, 
in their tone, then I'll be happy helping, as will the other ladies in the team as well. Like I said, they're all very supportive. Um, we are, for any new franchisees, we talked about having a buddy um, pr processing so that everybody who comes on will be allocated somebody who's gone through all this. And, um, and again, that alleviates a lot from me because at one point, if anyone has an issue, it, it, it's straight to me. Whereas now, um, we've got some ladies that have been doing this for sort of two, three, four years and um, they know what they're doing and they're, they're really good. So that, it's that like next management team, I guess, isn't it? That's, that's happened organically. Exactly. So it's creating your own team for head office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's actually good that you then are able to delegate to yeah. and, and let go of control. Yeah. Well, when I first started, I did all the admin, all the invites, all the social media, everything. So Charlotte now does a lot of the social media and Julia, who was um, Julia Page, is an admin, but she came to one of the networks doing admin. So she does a huge chunk of our admin now and we'll carry on doing that. It's, you know, again, it's me giving back. So we have ladies in the group that are specialists in lots of different fields and we will use those ladies to help us grow. Fabulous. Susie, if you were to sum up your advice for women in business for female leaders into one golden nugget what would that be believe in yourself because you've got it you can do it and, and don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't just just believe in yourself be yourself and believe in yourself Great advice, one I would definitely echo. <laughs> Susie, it has been a wonderful, uh, fun experience chatting with you here today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your story with us. Um, yeah, thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Una. Thank you. And thank you for all your support of Unique Ladies as well. It's greatly appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. I love going. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all for today, folks. Make sure that you subscribe to get more of this juicy goodness for your business and check the description for links mentioned in this episode. Enjoyed this free broadcast? I want you to know that I go so much deeper into the topics discussed so you too can grow a fun-to-run, highly profitable business that increases your impact and your creative flow. If you'd like to know more about that, let's arrange to hop on a call. You can set that up at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.